0: All right, we're going to get back in to our lesson that we were in the middle of last week. I think we just about finished the parable of the tares or the weeds. I do want to make one closing point on that, that that we didn't get to finish. At the end of that parable, starting in verse 41, if you want to follow along, uh, we're we're in Matthew uh, chapter 13. And I'm going to be starting in verse 41 of that parable. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now we talked about that part. We didn't talk about this last verse. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Main point being, I think I said this last week, but I want to uh, emphasize it again. Main point being, when Christ comes back with his angels, he's not going to come to establish kingdom. He's coming to return a kingdom. He's going to be re- uh, giving the kingdom to the Father. If you look at Colossians 1.13, it said, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and who hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We're in that kingdom now. Okay? Revelation 1, 9, John says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. That kingdom's right now. Christ is ruling. And if you look at 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty four, it says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. That's what it's talking about here. That's when the righteous is going to shine forth. When all of that of the fence has been removed and you have the righteous left, and that kingdom has been delivered to God, that's when the righteous are going to shine forth. So I just wanted to make that final comment on uh, that parable before we left it. Anybody else have any comments or points I want to make before we move on? All right, we're going to move on uh, to the parable of the net. It's in the same chapter. It's found in verses 13 through, I mean, excuse me, verses 47 through 50 in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So we're talking again about a parable that's talking about the end of the world. Uh, very similar, if you will, to the parable of the tares a little bit. There, there's some lightening to that. But in this case, uh, the net is the kingdom of heaven. And it's being thrown out into the world there. Uh, The lake uh, in this parable uh, is representing the world. And of course, all kinds of fish are gathered uh, from the world and that represents the people that are in the world. And then, of course, at the end, uh, uh, the uh, fishermen or the angels are going to come and they're going to separate those that are wicked from the good. And notice it says uh, they're going to begin, just like the, the one of the tares, are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace where there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, and I think we've uh, mentioned this before too, what separates someone being uh, approved of God in the kingdom and someone being disapproved? Well, it's the heart, isn't it? It's the heart that makes that separation. Uh, We can't see into man's heart, but we know God can. And when that separation happens, uh, this is a picture of God at the end looking at his kingdom and separating those uh, that are righteous from those that are not righteous. Again, very similar uh, to the parable of the tares. Not going to spend a lot more time on that unless somebody has something else they want to say. Okay, let's, let's move on to the next one. The next uh, parable we're going to talk about is the parable of the talents. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 25, and it's verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. So go ahead and go to that. Uh, this is one of the longest parables. Uh, in Matthew here, and uh, of course you, you've studied this many times before. Probably not going to tell you anything new that you don't already know. But uh, notice that, that uh, what it says here, and then we'll make some comments about it. Verse uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who hath called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And he that hath received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them another five talents. And likewise, he that hath received two, he also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And uh, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that hath received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou hadst therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but unto him that hath not shall be taken away even that which ye hath and cast ye the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, this is the longest uh, in, uh, in this chapter, and it's, uh, it teaches, of course, about the followers of Christ and how they must use the abilities and the talents that they have. Now, it's using... The talent, in this case, is, is a type of currency. Uh, the talent at that time was a lot of money, okay? Uh, I believe it. if I've got this uh, correct, it was worth several thousand denarii, and the denarius was usually a payment for a day's work. So if a talent is several thousand, you're talking about the value of many years of work, okay? So that's a lot of money that this person is entrusting to his servants. And notice he's entrusting them. And notice that he knew his servants. He didn't give them this time all the same amount. We're going to talk about a parable later where that did happen. But in this case, he gave one five, okay? And then he gave one two, and then he gave one the one. Now, uh, the Lord knows us, doesn't he? He knows that some of us have different talents for different things. Some of us have more talents than others. He expects more from the ones that he's given more to. I mean, And that's what we see in this too. Now, if you were the one talent person and you had seen your fellow servants get five and two, what, what would you think when you got one? Well, would you think maybe he didn't have so much confidence in you? Maybe that, you know, he didn't expect you to do as much as the others? Well, I don't know. You know, he, it could have, but look what he did. The man with five made five more, two made two more. What did he do with his? He digged the hole. In. What he did was play it safe, didn't he? He said, I'm not going to risk it. I might lose it. And I know my master's a hard man. If I lose it, boy, is he going to hold that against me. So what I'm going to do is just hide it, and later on I'm going to give it back to him. Well, of course, we know that his master was not uh, uh, okay with that. He wanted him to do He said, at least you could have given it and, and gotten usury, put it in the bank, in other words, got some interest. Well, it was a large amount of money, even one talent. Was a large amount of money. So if he had done that, he could have he could have gotten some interest off of that money. He could at least have done that, but he didn't. And uh, of course, that shows him that that he didn't work like he should have worked. Now the other servants did. Whether they got uh, uh, whatever amount of talents they got, they worked and made more. But the one talent did not. Matter of fact. Um, You know, he said, "I'm gonna." He was kind of judged with the words he said from his own mouth, wasn't he? You know, he knew that his master was a hard man. Well, then why didn't he do something? You know, I I know I'm going to be judged, and I know that he tries to reap where he doesn't sow, and all those kinds of stuff. But uh, he just tries to return the talent. He doesn't really do. And you know, he didn't get any commendation for that, did he? No, he got he got called down. For that. He he did not uh, he was not pleasing to his master because he didn't put forth any effort. Now, what does that mean for us? Does God expect us to put forth effort? Yes, he does. Uh does he expect all of us to do the same thing? No. You know, David's an awesome preacher. I can't do that. You know, he's he's got so much knowledge of the Bible and those kinds of things that he's learned over the years and can tie it all together and put it together and give it to you in such a way you go, man, I haven't seen it that way before. I can't do that. I don't have that ability. You know, both my boys lead singing real well. I don't have that ability. I can get out a little little bit every now and then, but I don't don't lead like that. You know, you look around, there's people that, their talent is to talk to individuals on an individual basis. And they have a real knack for that. You know, to meet strangers and to instantly strike up a conversation. And they have an ability for that. That's not my, my ability. I'm, I'm a little more reserved and it takes me a while to get to know somebody. Well, but some people aren't like that. You know, all of us have different abilities. And God expects us to use the abilities that we have for his service. Yes, sir. Brother, we got the preaching the poor woman, Jesus wife, and she gave two miles, and he committed her on the cup that she gave a mile. That's right. Because <laughs> she put forth that effort, didn't she? It's one talent that was just like the four women. That's right. Used what he had. In other used what he had. Good point. Good point. Any others? That's exactly right. He let they do to make Exactly right. That that was the master. He entrusted them with his, basically his livelihood, didn't he, at that time. And about, that, is, it, shows mm-hmm. it does. We have to make that choice, don't we? we choice. You may have a talent, but you can choose not to use it, just like the one talent man did. You can choose not to use that talent. And you know, uh, like Sam was saying, what has Christ entrusted to us? The kingdom, right? He's ingested the kingdom. The church. He's gone. He's going to be returning. That's what this parable is about. It, it, he's going to be returning and he expects us to be using the talents we have in his kingdom to help his kingdom grow. In his kingdom spread. Of course, his kingdom is about saving souls. It's not about making money here. His kingdom is about saving souls. And uh, I like the way... This guy put it, he said, in this parable teaches us, there's no room for drones, just worker bees, right? You know, we we just, we all got to be workers in some way. We've got to work, not all in the same way. We're not going to be doing the same things. And it takes all kinds to make everything work as it should. You know, it it just, it, it just takes all kinds to do that. Um, Yes. I have one of one other thought, but go ahead. No. That was actually my next point. Uh, You're born with a talent and different, but you got to grow in that, don't you? You got to grow. If if you don't use it, you're like the one talent man. You're not going to grow. You're not. Notice the uh, other servants. They grew, didn't they? They gained five more. Well, you can grow in your talents. You know, you may not be the best at whatever it is when you start, but you can grow in that talent, can't you? Now, the only way to grow in that talent is to use it, right? And if you don't use it, you never grow. So, you know, the message here is use it. You know, don't sit back and do nothing. Use whatever skill or ability or whatever you have. Okay, again, this this parable was about money, but we use that word talent to talk about uh, different abilities and things that we have that we can use uh, in the kingdom. All right. Any other questions or comments about that? I'm trying to see if there's anything I left out I wanted to make a point of. I think that is about all that I wanted to do on that one. Anybody else have a comment before we move on? All right, we're going to talk about uh, one other parable. And it's similar to this as far as dealing with money goes. It's the parable of the pounds, if you will. Minus, uh, look in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is the parable of the ten minus. This is Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Now before we just get... let's put a little context to this, this is probably uh, right around the last week of Jesus' life and he just got him through talking to Zacchaeus and, and, and those things. And so uh, this is right before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. okay So he's close to Jerusalem, before his triumphal entry, and this parable comes to us. And there's a little more history behind that we'll talk about in just a minute. But uh, Luke verses 19 through 20, uh, 11 through 27. Luke 19. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Keep that in mind. He gave you the reasons that he spoke this parable because he was nigh unto Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. They were ready. They wanted that kingdom. Right now, of course, we know they were looking for an earthly kingdom, weren't they? They wanted that kingdom to be an earthly kingdom and get them out from under Roman rule and all those type things. And so, because of those two things, he spake this parable. He said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, and he might know how much money every uh, how much how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, the pound, uh, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. He said unto him, Well, thy good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thy authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, Thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him. Be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept hid, laid up, in an enacted. For I feared thee, because thou an austere man, thou takest up, uh, that thou layest not down, and reapest, that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up uh, that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, thou gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that uh, stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that, uh, that unto every one that hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. You know, in studying this parable, uh, I looked at, different commentaries, and they uh, gave some of the same things. They gave, first of all, they gave a history. Notice when we first started reading this, he was nine to Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom was going to be given right then. Well, they understood a history which I'm going to talk about, which I really hadn't considered before doing this study. Um when Jesus told this parable to these listeners they in their mind could remember a political situation that had directly affected them and of course the nation of Israel previously in several years and it uh, involved Herod Archelaus I believe we pronounced that Archelaus didn't we Uh, and he was the of Samaria, Judea, and Edom from 4 B.C. to 6 A.D. What happened between 4 B.C. and 6 A.D.? Christ was born, right? He was born in that time period. Okay? Keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, uh, this Archelaus, he was the son of Herod the Great and the half-brother of Herod Philip I. Now, listen how he received the kingdom. Archelaus received the kingdom of Judah by the last will of his father, through a previous, though a previous will had bequeathed it to his brother Antipodos. All right, now you've heard those names before. I've heard some of those names. He was proclaimed king by the army, but declined to assume the title until he had submitted his claims to Caesar Augustus in Rome. All right? Keep that in your mind. Think about the parable. Before setting out, he quelled with utmost cruelty a sedition led by the Pharisees slaying nearly 3,000 of the Pharisees. They didn't want him to be their leader. All right, They didn't. He was going to go to Rome. He was going to let Caesar say, you're the leader. He wasn't going to take it without Caesar's approval. Okay. Before, uh, in Rome... He was opposed by Antipodos and, and by many of the Jews. They went, some of the Jews went to Rome to oppose him, to say, we don't want him to be our leader. They feared his cruelty. But in 4 BC, Augustus allotted him the greater part of the kingdom, Samaria, Judea, and Indomia, with the title of Ethanarch until 6 AD, when Judea was brought under direct Roman Rule. Now, listen to the second part of the history. When Archelaus returned from Rome, he wasted no time in punishing those who opposed him. He treated the Jews and Samaritans with great brutality. He also removed the high priest from his position because he had directly aided the 50 men who went to Rome to oppose him. He married Gaphira, the widow of his brother Alexander, Though his wife and her second husband Jubba, king of uh, Martania, were alive. This violation of the Mosaic law, uh, along with his constant cruelty, roused the ire of the Jews, who complained to Augustus. Because of poor performance and continued complaints, Archelaus was deposed in the year six and banished to Gaul. The area then came under direct Roman rule now have you heard of Archelaus before Anywhere you, you may or may not remember this go to Matthew chapter 2 Matthew chapter 2 you remember what's going on here uh, of course Joseph had, had taken Mary and Jesus to Egypt Uh, Herod had killed the children and now he wants to return. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Now he was born in Bethlehem. You know, they might have been going back to that area. And he arose and took the old child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Changed his mind, didn't he? Because this guy, he knew about this guy. He knew what he'd done. He knew how brutal he was. He knew how many people he'd killed. All those kinds of things. Joseph changed his mind. He was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. All of that worked together, didn't it? To fulfill God's plan, to fulfill prophecy, that all of that worked together. It, it's amazing when you look at the things throughout the Bible. And uh, David, the other day, I can't remember when he did it, he talked about the providence of God, you know, and how that God can use bad things to make good things happen, to fulfill his will. Um, you know, Archelaus, a bad guy, did a lot of bad things, but it was used in such a way to fulfill God's will. And again, when, when I think of, of, of God's providence I can't get past the story of Joseph. Just think about what happened to Joseph. First of all, the bad thing about being sold as a slave, right? Sold as a slave. But then think about God's providence. Whose house did he get in? Potiphar's house. Well, how'd that happen? I don't know. You know, there might have been some bidding or whatever else, but he ended up in that house. And what did Joseph do when he was in Potiphar's house? He conducted himself in a righteous manner, didn't he? He did everything he should have done. And what happened? He rose, didn't he? He rose to a place of prominence. He did everything he should have done. And then Potiphar's wife. Well, he did what he should have done there too, didn't he? He got thrown into prison because of it, but he did what he should have done. And then, man, that's a bad thing, awful thing in prison. But then what happened in prison? He did what he should have done, right? Right? He obeyed God, and he, again, he rose in prominence. Now, is, is it just a coincidence that the baker and the butler happened to be put into prison at that time? Or is that the providence of God? Well, you think about it, okay? All those things coming together, Joseph being in the right place at the right time to do the right thing, and then ended up, of course, uh, being before Pharaoh and interpreting his dream and those things working out. And of course, we, later on, Joseph said you, to his brothers, you meant it for evil to me. God meant it to save people alive. And we see all those things happen. And at the time they're happening, you think Joseph saw every time that <laughs> that's the providence of God working, bad things happening. Boy, that's providence So A lot of times we have a hard time seeing that, don't we? Until a little further down the road, and then you go, you know, that bad thing that happened to me, I, I kind of see how it worked out now. You know, that, 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 that was God's way of helping me grow in some way, in some fashion. And a lot of times it could be for your soul's salvation that you might reap the ultimate benefit of, of having heaven as your home because of everything that's worked together. Of course, we're told everything works together for good, the then that love the Lord who's called according to his purpose, right? It doesn't say everything's going to be good. It said everything's going to work together for good. What is your ultimate good? Your soul's salvation. That's your ultimate good. Well, if, if we're following God's will like Joseph did and doing what we should do and the way we should do it, God is going to make sure we get our ultimate good, that we get that salvation that we so desire, we desire that, and we're working towards that and doing His will. Okay, I got off a little bit on that. Uh, <laughs> any questions and comments so far about this? But do you see how this parable, with that history, could uh, could have those people going, hmm? Okay, you know, before we we uh, we understand that somebody's leaving and and. Going and going to get a kingdom, and oh yeah, they could remember Archelaus and they can remember him going and getting a kingdom, and how when he returned he took out his vengeance on those that opposed him, and I, all those things they could understand. Okay, they uh, they could understand that uh, better than we could possibly understand that, and of course it it meant more to them in that way than it. But if you study that and you understand that. Then it, uh, then it could mean a lot to us. Oh, yes? That shows me that God's will is going to be done No matter what. It is been established and this false doctrine. I mean, how God worked through history like that, it God's will is going to be done. It's going to be done. It's not going to have all these things that you couldn't have accomplished while he was here. His work was finished on earth. Think about the logical uh extent of that. You've got a God, and He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, but yet He can't get His will done. That man and say, no, we're not going to have it. We're not quite ready for your kingdom right now, so you're going to have to go to plan B. That doesn't sound like an all-powerful God, does it? That doesn't sound like a being that's all-knowing that can accomplish His will through any way He wants to. That That puts limits on God that you don't read anywhere in the Bible, do you? You know, and if 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 you if a God, if a God's will can be thwarted by man, and man can, if you would, dictate to God when and where his kingdom's going to be established, is that the kind of God I want to serve? I don't think so. I'd rather serve an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God that can get his will accomplished whenever he wants to and however he wants to. And we know that's the kind of God we serve. We know that when Christ came upon this earth, He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it, were, if it was, my servants would fight. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It was never intended to be an earthly kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom, and it's never going to be an earthly kingdom. As we said on those other parables we talked about, He's going to return the kingdom to God. He's going to give it up to God. He's not coming back to establish a kingdom. He's going to give the kingdom to God and hopefully that we've been growing because we're working and doing what we should do uh, in his kingdom. All right. Other questions, comments, those type things. Yes, sir. You know, we can always say thy kingdom is spread, can't we? If we want to say that. But the time when Christ gave that model of prayer, had the kingdom been established? No. That was a model of prayer before Acts chapter 2 when the kingdom was established, when the church was established, when Peter preached the sermon. Uh, so that prayer was, was very appropriate then. Now it's not, is it? With that phrase, the rest of the prayer is fine. Uh, but that part, and again, we can change it to thy kingdom spread, you know, if we want to, or we can leave that part out. But Christ's kingdom has been established, and it, it's our duty uh, to use our talents in helping to spread that kingdom throughout the world. Is that the buzzer? Okay. All right, well then, we find a good place, stop. <laughs> all right, thank you all for your comments. Appreciate that.